You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. So, you guys probably can tell that I am losing my voice. Um, So, can everybody hear me right now? You can hear me. Okay, I'm not going to be able to amplify a lot. I'm going to be drinking a lot of water. My worst fear is that I'm going to have to pee really bad when I'm up here. And I've never had to take like a bathroom break during a message. But I really think there's a real possibility that might happen. Because I've drank one and a half things of water and like two and a half cups of coffee. And I've got a couple of waters back there. So, yeah, that's a good call. That's true. The movie Naked Gun. You seen Naked Gun? <clears throat> None of you guys have seen that. So I got this text from my wife this morning, and I thought it was funny. I don't think you guys are going to think it's funny, but I'm going to read it anyways, the risk. Um, She asked me how my voice was doing. I said it was doing pretty bad. She says, oh, that sucks. I had a dream last night that your voice was going out after the retreat, but then you came back to Muncie, and you woke up early and did a private comedy show in somebody's living room. Then after that, you had another comedy gig, which ended up being at the beginning of someone's court case. (laughs) Oh, you do think it's funny. Cool. Um, you then were going to teach at the revolution. Then you had to go back to U of I's fall retreat for the rest of their retreat. So I guess you can be glad you don't have to do all that. So praise God, praise God for that. <clears throat> so I'll try to, again, I just, I just won't be able to be loud and I like to be loud, which is fine. So my kids really like it when I tell them stories. Um, we have this recurring character called Mole Man. It's kind of weird. I created it once, and I've probably told like hundreds of Mole Man stories about the adventures of Mole Man. And uh, my little girl, who's six, for the last two years, she's always like, Dad, tell me a story. Tell me a story of something you did really bad. (laughs) And I indulge her. I have told her every evil thing I've done in my life. (laughs) I think it's funny. And uh, man, she's heard some dark stories. But we like stories. It's the reason we read books. It's the reason we watch movies. It's the reason we like to sit next to certain people because we like to hear their stories. And stories that often capture us are stories that involve sacrifice, right? And tons of stories involve sacrifice. I, I would like to think I like good movies, but I like bad movies too. And one of the bad movies that I like is called Armageddon. Who here has seen Armageddon? <clears throat> it's not a good movie, right? Um, but I'm a sucker. I cry really easily at movies. For example, years ago, I was homesick, and I'd never seen Sister Act. And I saw about five minutes of Sister Act, and I thought, oh, no, they're going to figure out she's a prostitute, and they're going to accept her anyways. And I started weeping. <laughs> and I'd like to blame my sickness, but that wasn't the case. So Armageddon, anytime Armageddon's on, I turn it. I, you know, I just know there's nothing better on TV. And so I, I watch it, and, you know, that scene at the end when um, the older guy sacrifices for the younger guy has me weeping every single time. <clears throat> and there's a lot of stories out there like that. You know, uh, any superhero movie has sacrifice in it. Harry Potter has sacrifice in it. Return to Me, uh, Lord of the Rings, Gladiator, Braveheart. Um, you know, every movie that tends to capture us um, often has some element of sacrifice in it. And these stories are great, but honestly, they don't change us. They don't usually leave us better people. 
Um, but we're going to talk about a story of sacrifice this morning that will change us. I think it's the most important story that we can hear, both as not Christians and both as Christians. And so that's what we're going to focus on uh, this morning. And let, let me pray, and then we'll jump into that. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks that you are good, that you are with us, that you are present here. And so, God, I pray you help us pay attention, God. I pray even... Um, even though, God, I, I'm going to have to be a little subdued, God, I just think that's great, God, because it gives such a wonderful chance for your spirit to come in and work and move. And so I just trust you're going to do that, God. I pray even for some of us who um, the message we're going to hear this morning is something that maybe connects with us for the first time. I just got to believe there's some people here in this room where that's going to be true for. And so um, I pray, Lord, that you help us listen to what you're saying in our lives. God, help us connect with your great story of sacrifice and love and forgiveness. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So last night we looked at everything that went wrong right at the beginning. We saw that, you know, God created creation. It was perfect. It was beautiful. There was shalom, and then everything fell apart, and it broke our relationship with God and how we view ourselves, how we view one another, and even our relationship with creation. And as we go on in the retreat, we're going to look how God's making all things new with that. And so we're going to start this morning and how God is making things new with our relationship with himself. What I'm going to share this morning is probably not super new, um, but I think it's super important. Um, I think whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, I think the gospel message is the message I need to hear every single day. I need to hear it for various reasons, and so for some of you, maybe it'll connect with you for the first time, maybe even some of you who grew up in the church, but for all of us, I just, I just have to believe this is the most important message um, that we can hear. That's not me, is it? Okay, cool. Um, so again, last night we looked at Scripture on how Adam and Eve, um, their relationship caused them to be estranged from God. And uh, Scripture teaches that, right? What's happening here, Ross? What's my my pack? Okay. You pull it out. Now I want you to touch me right there. I want it to be. Yeah, there we go. That's good. Keep teaching. Keep teaching. I can't. I can't. I'm just gonna have to kind of be right here. How's that? How's that feel? It felt good for me. It felt like what I needed in this moment. Yeah, I'd like you to put that back in there. You put in my, could you put it in my back pocket, actually? Thank you. I didn't think you were actually going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right. Um, let's give it up for Ross. All right, Ross. <laughs> I'm such a jerk. Um, it's fine. God, God saves jerks. Um, all right, Paul writes this in Romans 5. <clears throat> he says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And so through Adam's sin, sin entered this world. King David says this in Psalm 51. And this psalm is relevant, especially because it's a psalm he wrote after he committed adultery. David says this, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. 
Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And again, none of this is good news. But the good news is that God has come and provided a way back to him, a way for us to be back when we were estranged. And one question I want to ask, and maybe it seems basic, um, but why is our sin such a big deal to God? You know, if God is good and he's loving and he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing and he's all those things, why is our sin such a big deal? Why can't he just kind of give us a free pass? And I would give the answer, and the answer I'll share quickly, I think two of the main reasons is because God is holy and God is just. We serve a holy God who's very different than us. Psalm 86, 8 through 10 says this, Among the gods there is none like you. Lord, no deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous things, for you alone are God. To God call, to call God holy, it means he's separate. It means he's pure. Habakkuk, the first uh, part of verse 13 in chapter 1, says your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So God's, God is holy. He's separate. So he's too pure to look upon our sin. And I could do a whole message this morning on holiness, but I'm not going to do that. But that's something I think we need to get our mind wrapped around. It's something we honestly don't think of all that often. And God's holiness is something we can't even fully comprehend. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, we cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree we're capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely bettered, We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. So one of the reasons God can't just ignore our sin is because he is holy. Another reason God can't do that is because he is just. And we all have this sense of justice, right? When we see something that happens that we don't like, we think someone needs to do something about that. And if God is good, then he has to be just too. Uh, made me think of this story that happened a while back. There was this girl in our church named Becca. And I was meeting up with Becca on campus. We we're doing a bunch of follow-up. It's at the beginning of the year. And Becca told me that she got into an accident on her bike. Apparently, she was riding in the street on her bike, which you should ride in the street on your bike. If you ride on the sidewalk, you need to get off the sidewalk and ride in the street, right? Amen. Okay. That's right. So she was doing what she should. She was in the street. And she was going, and a car was going here, and the car kind of passed her and turned right in front of her. So she ran right into the side of the car. She messed up the front of her bike. She had a pretty nice bike. Becca was a smart girl. Her father was a police officer, so she called the police knowing you should make a report for something like that. So the police came. The guy kind of owned up to what he did and said, okay, go get your bike fixed, and then I'll pay whatever the cost is. Well, Becca went and got her bike fixed. It was maybe 100 bucks, $75, something like that, to get her bike fixed. It messed up her tire. And she told me, I'm going to go meet the guy here in five minutes and pick up the money. And uh, I said, I want to go with you, just in case. You know, in case something goes down, I need to kind of strong arm this guy. And uh, so we go over there, and the guy doesn't show up. And then she calls him, and he says, I'm not paying I'm not paying at all. And so Becca's furious. And Becca's a fighter. Like, she's a firecracker of a person. And so we're going to meet with another student. And I'm like, have you looked this guy up on Facebook yet? She goes, I can't believe I haven't done that. And I said, let's look him up. Let's see if we got some mutual friends. And so we look him up. And on his feed, the first thing was, 
Um, this dumb girl just ran into me on her bicycle, and now she says I owe her money. People are idiots. <laughs> and so Becca's just, like, so furious. Like, and there are all these, like, posts about this accident criticizing her, and so she's super angry. And then I look at him, and, like, I recognize that name. He was a freshman. And then I look at our list of all the people we had to follow up from church that Sunday, and he was on the list. <laughs> And I'm like, we are going to bust him. We're going to follow up with him. And we're going to be like, hey, you're in a small group? Oh, wait, here's my friend Becca. She leads a small group with me. You idiot. <laughs> Didn't come to that. She, I know, I know. It would have been a better story if we would have ambushed him. Um, but I don't even know. Yeah, he paid. That was it. I don't think he got involved in our church for some reason, though. <laughs> So if you're like me, you just want justice, right? We want justice except that when that justice is on us, right? Those are some of the times when we're uneasy with justice. But God cannot be good if he is not just. So God's holy and God is just and we've all messed up. And when you've really messed up in life, the most freeing thing that you can hear is you have a chance to start over. You can restart. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you can think of a scenario where you've, you've messed up drastically and they're not saying, oh, that's okay. You can just do it again. Maybe some paper you've done in class, maybe a test that you're able to retake. Um, but it can be a really beautiful thing when you're able to restart. Some of you are freshmen or some of you can remember back to your freshman year and you can think about when you came to college and one of the things you were excited about was a restart. People don't know the stories that happened to you in high school. They don't know the bad nicknames that you were given. They don't know the embarrassing things. They don't know the stigmas that followed you. And so when you come to college, it can be so freeing because no one knows me here. And some of you, if you don't want to start over, if you really liked who you are, you're the type of person who wears that senior skip day um, T-shirt like all throughout college or whatever. So rocking that Letterman jacket. Um, but most people, when they come to college, they're thinking, man, this is nice. I get a fresh start. You know, start over, I get to think about the person who I'm going to become. Now, this band was popular years ago. I don't know if people listen to them anymore. They're called the Beatles. I'm just kidding. Um, Mumford and Sons. Anybody like Mumford and Sons? Okay. Some people, uh, some people, I hate them. Um, I, I listened to this song years ago, and I, w- I would sing it with my kids, but it just, it captures this. captures the idea of starting over, and I'm not going to sing it to you because I can't sing I would, um, but I'm going to read some of the lyrics to you. It's from a song called Roll Away Your Stone. It says, roll away your stone, I'll roll away mine. Together we can see what we can find. Don't leave me alone at this time, for I'm afraid of what I will discover inside. You told me that I would find a home within the fragile substance of my soul. I have filled this void with things unreal. And all the while, my character, it steals. The darkness is a harsh term, don't you think? And yet it dominates the things I seek. It seems as if all my bridges have been burned. You say that's exactly how the grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive at the restart. I think it captures the gospel for me. I really like those last six lines. I'll read them again. Darkness is a harsh term, don't you think? And hopefully after last night, sharing how broken things are, it's like, no, it's not a harsh term. That's exactly where we find ourselves in. Because yet it dominates all the things I seek. I see brokenness all around me. It seems like I've screwed up beyond repair, that all my bridges have been burned. And you say, that's exactly how this grace thing works. 
It's not the long walk home that will change his heart. It's not kind of trying to make up for everything we have done wrong. But it's the welcome I receive when I'm told I can start over. And I think that's a good picture of the gospel. And again, that's what we're going to look at um, tonight. Paul in Romans 5, 5 argues that death came through one man, Adam, and that life will come through another man in Christ. Paul sums up this same idea in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, when he says, For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so Jesus gives us a way to move out of this darkness into light. And the way we get there is through the one thing we all desperately need. We need this above everything else in our life, and that's forgiveness. The story here in Luke kind of illustrates that, and I'm going to read it to you. It's found in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him, meaning Jesus, to eat with him, and went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And he tells the story. He says, a certain moneylender has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You give me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You do not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In this story, we have Jesus encountering two people, and these two people are brought in direct contrast with one another. The first person we meet in the story is Simon. Simon's a Pharisee. This means he was part of the religious and the cultural elite. And it's interesting that Simon actually wanted to meet with Jesus. Um, he invited him into his home. And for Simon to do this, I think it actually took a lot of bravery and courage for him to do this. Because to invite someone into a meal meant you invited them into a relationship with them. And the only other Pharisee, um, at least in my memory, that we have in approaching Jesus is Nicodemus in the Scriptures. And Nicodemus does that in the cover of night so no one will see him with Jesus. So Simon genuinely wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. We don't get the woman, the second character. We don't get the woman in the story's name, but we get a description of her. She's a woman of, a, of the city, so that means she's a prostitute. She's described as a sinner, and she's come in from off the street to meet with Jesus. Okay, so those are the two people now, the setting. Jesus is at some type of formal banquet. And for this story to make sense, we need to understand how meals happened at a banquet like this 2,000 years ago. First of all, no one's feet would have been under the table, right? 
You might wonder, how does this woman have such access to Jesus' feet? She's crawling underneath this table. No, like at a, at a formal banquet, Jesus would have been on his side. He would have been tilted up on one arm, and his feet would have been extended out this way. Um, again, and his sandals would have been off. And in a banquet like this, people could come in from the street. Again, I always wondered when I would read this story before, sometimes I'd be like, how did this woman just kind of end up there? Did she sneak past the guards at the door? But people just could kind of come in and listen um, to the public discourse that was going on there, listen to the conversation. So now that we know the setting, I think it makes sense that it would be very possible for this woman to be at the feet of Jesus without Simon or Jesus even realizing it. The first time they would realize it was when Jesus felt her tears on his feet. And so this woman, she comes to pour her perfume on Jesus' feet, and she she can't even get that far because she begins um, weeping. And the woman kneels down. She continues to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. She wipes them away with her hair, and then she eventually anoints his feet with perfume. And, of course, this was scandalous. Simon immediately pulls back. It immediately discredits who Jesus is, and he says, you're not a prophet because of two things. One, if you were a prophet, you would know who this is. Or if you know who this is and you're letting her do it, then you're not a prophet either. Either way, you're not a prophet. And then Jesus says this. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And there's a tone in there that I'd like to believe. Like, you need to listen, right? Now, I have a story, and this is for you. And Jesus tells a story about uh, two people who owed a debt. One owed a really big debt. One owed a small debt. And neither could pay that debt. And both of those debts were canceled. And he asked Simon, who, who's going to be more thankful? Who's going to love the money lender more? And Simon says, well, I guess the person with the biggest debt. Back then, the consequence would have been the same for both of them. No matter if you owed a big debt or a small debt, if you didn't pay it, you just didn't kind of push the creditors aside or um, declare bankruptcy, you would go to jail. And so they would have both ended up in jail no matter how much that they had to pay. And Jesus is saying to Simon, the problem is you don't think you owe a very big debt and you think you can pay it back yourself. You don't think it's necessary because you believe your debt is so small by the way that you have lived your life. This woman, she knows that she owes a great debt. And because of that, she comes to me with tears. You came to me with a conversation. And this interaction that Jesus has is not a contrast between someone who's interested in Jesus and someone who's not. Remember, Simon was very interested in Jesus. He uh, put his reputation on the line of having him into his home. But Simon wanted a conversation. He wanted to pursue understanding. He wanted a dialogue. Simon was a man who didn't really understand that he needed more than just a conversation with Jesus. Simon needed help, just like this woman. Simon needed a savior. Jesus is going after Simon's impersonal religion. And this woman, of course, she had no doubt she needed help, that she needed a savior. Her pursuit of Jesus was a very intimate and very personal one that involved tears and involved her giving him everything that she had. And Jesus offered this woman what we all desperately need, forgiveness. He said, you can start over no matter what you've done, no matter who you've been. No matter what all these people think about you right now, you can start over. And in Jesus' offering forgiveness, he communicates that you do not need to be a good person to come to me. You do not need to have all your stuff together. What matters is, are you ready to worship me? 
Are you ready to give me everything you have? Are you ready to follow me? And that's exactly what she did. Again, we have the symbol of that when she empties out that perfume on his feet. This perfume would have been very expensive, but it wasn't just a financial sacrifice for her. Uh, One of these jars would have been like a flask with a long, skinny neck um, that she would have had. And the smell of perfume would have been something that she would have worn around her neck, maybe even the flask around her neck. And it would have been something that attracted men to her. And so it would have been her livelihood. The thing that keeps her in business is the thing that she's emptying out on Jesus. And these flasks were created in such a way that you couldn't pour out a lot at once. You could only put drops out. But she poured it all out. So in order to do that, she broke the neck of the flask, the skinny neck, and she poured it out, basically making kind of her prized possession uh, not be valuable anymore. She gives Jesus everything, and they both get what they wanted in the end. Simon got a conversation. He got a lesson. He got a parable. He got a teaching. And this woman, she got forgiveness. And I love that about Jesus. I love it that he's ready to forgive anyone here in this room who's ready to come to him. It's so freeing to know that. And then that forgiveness gives us the ability to go and love and care for others. Jesus is ready to receive those who are ready to admit that they need help. And Jesus' forgiveness, if you know his story, it came through his death on a cross. And some of you may wonder, like, you know, his death on the cross Seems so normal, right? Because we talk about it. But then you may wonder, why did Jesus have to die? Why did it have to go down that way for forgiveness to come? Why did it involve death? And I think this is true. Forgiveness means absorbing the debt of sin yourself. If you're to forgive someone, you're absorbing some pain, some suffering, some wrong. Forgiveness is never fair. It's never easy. It never really feels good in the moment because you're absorbing pain when you were doing that. And so Jesus absorbed pain in death. A couple days ago when I was in the, I sound really sick right now, but I don't feel really sick. So it's kind of weird, but I felt really sick on Wednesday or Tuesday. I forget when it was. And my, my daughter was home from school. She was laying on the couch. I was laying on the bed. My wife comes in with groceries with two of my kids, my three-year-old and my eight-year-old. And if you take even two of three kids to a grocery store, it's like hell on earth. And so she comes in and she's tired and she's bringing the groceries in. And she's like talking to me, but I'm probably like watching The Flash or something on Netflix. And I'm like, I'm sick, hon. And uh, she asked Lincoln, my eight-year-old, could you bring the groceries in? And Lincoln, he's like his dad. He, he likes to be served more than he likes to serve. <laughs> trying to work on that with him. But, you know, he's just not the kid who's going to naturally do that. And so he's like, ah, fine. So he takes a couple bags in. And Carolyn's like, do you have all the groceries? He goes, yeah, I got them all. You close the trunk? No. Oh, I got to put my shoes back on. He puts his shoes back on, closes the trunk. Next morning, my wife's looking for the yogurt. And uh, it's not there. Lincoln, did you bring all the groceries in? I think so. Go back out there. There's raw chicken in our trunk, bacon, basically any, anything of value that needed to be in the refrigerator or freezer was left. <laughs> and that was probably 30 $40 worth of stuff. And so my wife had to try and forgive him. Like, what do you do in that moment? That's like one of those hard parenting moments. You want to like, I want to teach you a lesson, but I know you experience all this shame and you know he feels bad, but you want him to earn responsibility. And I don't, I don't know how we, you know, the right way to navigate that, but At the end of the day, she still needs to forgive him. However, we decide to punish him, and it means absorbing the debt because he doesn't have $40. 
And we're not going to make him work those $40 off. It would take years for him to do that. It's an unpayable debt for an eight-year-old, right? And so we need to absorb that. And it causes pain and suffering and loss, financial loss. Again, that's small, right? But any type of forgiveness, you know, think about that person you really need to forgive. That it's painful. Tim Keller says this. He says, why did Jesus have to die in order to forgive us? So he's kind of answering that question I posed. He said, there is a debt to be paid. God himself paid it. There's a penalty to be borne. God himself bore it. Forgiveness is always a form of costly suffering. And so we talked about God's holiness and justice earlier on. And so Jesus' death was necessary if God was going to take justice seriously and still love us. And that's the best news we can hear this morning. I don't care if you're a Christian. Um, It's still the news we need to hear, that we are forgiven, that we are made new because of Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, if you feel like you're that Simon who you've just had conversations with Jesus, but you haven't really given him your life, you haven't dumped that bottle of perfume out yet, man, that is the best thing you can hear, that you are forgiven. And that's what you desperately need to hear. The Bible says if we come to know Christ, we're a new creation. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, and he, meaning Jesus, died for all those that who should live, uh, died for all those that who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are now new creations because of what Christ has done. If you're a Christian today and you've accepted Christ, your sin is gone and you can have true life because of forgiveness. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 kind of walks through this, kind of our path from darkness to light. And let me just read it to you. This may be a familiar section or at least have some familiar verses. Paul says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, meaning Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So we all were children of wrath. We're all sinful like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so this passage really illustrates the things that I've been communicating, right? That we are dead in our sins. We're dead in our transgressions. We're children of wrath. We're following the prince of this air. We're following Satan. But then God, but then God in his mercy and his love provided a way back. And that way back was through grace, through faith in him, through grace, not by works. So no one can boast. Yet once we come to know Christ, I love verse 10. We are God's masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Jesus to do good work. So we're saved by grace. And then once we do that, we're a new creation. And we now live for him and do great things uh, with him. 
And so how does God make our relationship new? He does it by grace, not by a religion, not by going to this retreat, not by going to church, not by reading your Bible, but by faith in him. I've quoted Tim Keller multiple times, and I'm going to quote him a couple more times. He says this, he says, the founders of every other major religion essentially came as teachers, not as saviors. They came to say, do this and you will find the divine. But Jesus came essentially as a savior rather than a teacher, though he was that as well. Jesus says, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourselves. The Christian message is that we are saved not by our record, but by Christ's record. I don't know about you, but that's freeing to me. That I can start over with God. That God does not love me more or less based on what I have done. And we know that in our mind, but we don't know that. Well, I honestly don't know if we know that in our mind all the time. You know, it's, it's hard to get that message home. Maybe we, part of us understands that's true, but part of us still struggle with that. Because we are a new creation in Christ. We no longer need to hide. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden when God showed up? They were afraid of him. They ran from him because of the sin. We do not need to do that. We do not need to open our Bible. We don't need to come to church and think, okay, I'm a Christian, but I, I feel guilty. I feel like God's mad at me. I feel like I haven't been to church in a while, so I need to kind of make my Bible, open this Bible in a while. So I need to kind of make the first paragraph of my journal entry all about how bad of a Christian I've been. Um, yet if you're forgiven, you can come to him completely freshly um, each time because you're forgiven. You may have been a Christian your whole life, but you still feel like you need to run from God after sin. And that's just not true. You can run to him because you are forgiven. That's where you find grace. That's where you find healing. I was speaking with a group of students at our fall retreat. Uh, we had our fall retreat at Ball State last week. And yeah, good job. Um, and uh, I was speaking with a group of students. It's one of those conversations that starts out weird. Like there are these two girls. They're like, Carl, Carl, we got a question for you. I had this dream. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So we talk about dreams and demons <laughs> for a while. And then we start talking about it. And then it became this question answer session. And then this girl who's a sophomore in our church, grew up in the church, good girl, has a better Bible understanding than most 19-year-olds, lives a more ethical life than most 19-year-olds, said, I'm just not sure if I'm right with God. Still, I know I'm a Christian. I've come to know Christ. But I just always wonder kind of in the back of my head, have I done enough? I just thought, you need the gospel. You need to hear again that you are a new creation, that you are forgiven. And if you are truly in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves as Christians all the time. Some of us are good at being Christians because we do and say the right things and we just work really hard at not failing. It may surprise you, but that's how I was in college. <laughs> Here's stories. That's, I, I wanted to be the super Christian. Um, I did everything I can not to fail. But again, um, failure for me, I think, is the best thing that can lead me to Jesus. It can remind me again and again that I'm not saved by what I do. I like what Richard Foster says. He says, love, not anger, brought Jesus to the cross. Golgotha came as a result of God's great desire to forgive, not reluctance. Jesus knew that by, vindic by his vicarious suffering, he could actually absorb all evil of humanity and heal it, forgive it and redeem it. And so now we can start over with God. 
and we receive different things. We receive access to Jesus. We can come to him in his presence and there's no sin standing in our way. We can have intimacy with God. What I love about God, what I love about making our relationship new with him is that he knows everything that you are thinking right now. He knows everything that you have gone through. He knows every evil, dark thought. He knows every dark thing you have done. He knows every dark thing you have said um, out in the open and in secret. And yet those things are forgiven. And we can have intimacy with him. We receive God's spirit. We have such intimacy that God begins and lives inside of us. And it feels really good when someone takes the rap for us, doesn't it? You ever been in trouble and someone take, took the rap for you? In a junior high, this is a story I told my daughter Lily. And this is one of the bad stories. Um, we used to steal the teacher's um, supplies. Why? Because it was fun. And so we would steal the teacher's markers and erasers, and doorstops primarily. And uh, we stole this doorstop, Miss Bushman's doorstop. That was a coveted doorstop because she tied it to the door handle. And uh, so we were like, man, we got to get Miss Bushman's doorstop. And so I remember one day sharpening my pencil and untying it, and then, you know, untying it a little more. And then over the course of the period of English class, it got untied. So when I left the classroom, I just kind of walked out. I kicked it into the hallway like it was an accident, kicked it down the hall, looked around, picked it up, put it in my pocket. Now we have every single doorstop in seventh grade. And we put it in my friend Robbie Wright's locker. That's a stupid thing, right? We kept all of our stolen merchandise in a locker right by all our classes. Well, surprise, surprise, Robbie got busted. And they found all this stuff. He got suspended for a couple of days. And uh, Robbie took the rap for us, right? But the thing about Robbie, he's kind of like Alan because he snitched on us. He said, I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone. But for some reason, the teachers were like, it doesn't matter. You're in trouble. We're not busting anybody else. And so Jesus is like Robbie Wright, but he did it willfully, right? <laughs> Took the rap for us willfully. And it feels good when someone takes our place. John Stott says this, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God. Well, the essence of salvation is God substituting, substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be. God puts himself where we deserve to be. And so as I close right now, I think there's kind of two groups of people here. There are groups, and I just know there's this group here. There's, you know, sometimes when I interact with people, I'll say there's three types of people I meet. People who reject Jesus, they don't want anything to do with them. People who know things about Jesus, maybe they've been to church a lot, maybe they haven't, maybe they've read the Bible, maybe they haven't. They just know stuff about Jesus. And people who are like that woman who said, I'm giving Jesus my everything and I'm going to follow him. I say, where are you? And often people say two, I'm in that second one, I kind of know things, or two and a half, I'm not sure where I'm at. And I would imagine there's people here who haven't just said, no, Jesus, you're it. I want to accept you. I want to follow you. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I would imagine there's maybe some of you, a few of you, who just think, man, I'm a Christian kid, but I, I need to start following Jesus. I need to really give my life to him. And then there's another category. There's those of you who are a new creation. You have made that commitment, and yet you still need to hear this message of forgiveness. You are forgiven. You do not have to earn your way back to God. It doesn't matter how good or bad of a Christian you've been. Now, God's prepared good works for you to do, and we'll talk about some of those tonight. But you are forgiven. 
you believe that. Because if you believe that, that changes you. It changes that you want to spend more time with God. If you feel like he's not angry with you, if he's not disappointed with you, if he's not frustrated with you, then you want to be with that person. It changes your devotional life. It changes how you treat people. If it really gets in your heart that you're forgiven. And, and I don't think you graduate from that. I need to hear that right now. I need to hear, Carl, you're forgiven. You're forgiven for the nasty things you've said to your kids. You're forgiven for the, the, the Robbie Wright thing, which ah, it's funny. I don't carry guilt about that. Um, but you're You're forgiven those dark things that have happened in your life. So maybe for some of us, it's time to start over this morning. And so I'm going to pray for that. Um, Let me close kind of with this last little quote, quoted Tim Keller, like I said, multiple times. But I think it's, it's, you know, some of us, it's difficult to follow Jesus, right? It's difficult to say, I'm going to give him everything because there's all this other stuff that's competing for our attention. Um, But we're going to follow something, and, and Tim Keller says this, everybody has to live for something. Whatever that something is becomes Lord of your life. Whether you think it that way or not, Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely. And if you fail him, will forgive you eternally. Let me pray.